Hello, welcome back. Uh, welcome back. Pronto, as they say in uh, in uh, in Venice, or pronto, it's flooding. Uh, yeah, uh, I've been away and now I'm back, and uh, it feels weird being on solid ground again, not getting used to the sort of, you know, or rather, I've gotten used to the the slight waving that you get in Venice all the time. I've been away, been literally in Venice. I was there for the for the big flood, yeah, which happened this week. Uh, we we recorded the podcast there. Our Patreon supporters will will know a little bit more about that than everybody else. But I, I did a, a podcast on the road, which was it worked out reasonably well, but with, was not without its <laughs> its technical challenges. Uh, and Andy did a, an outstanding job of uh, knitting together a little a little extra piece that I added in. Uh, when my recording stopped recording because the backup wasn't good enough. And we'll get into into backups and the importance of backups later on. But uh, yes, I'm back. Uh, all is well. Uh, uh, it was a long old journey back. Well, I was going to say, it, um, I was watching the news yesterday and the kids were like watching the news as well. And uh, they were like, isn't Peter in Venice? And I was like, yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> and they said it's all underwater. And I said, Venice is always underwater, yeah, don't worry. It's always underwater, yeah. No, yeah. like, no, no, it's really flooded. And I was like, it's always really flooded. Uh, and I showed them the video that you sent us of, like, people walking down the street with their wellies on. It was yeah. quite a lot of water. Yeah. And then they were like, no, it's, like, really flooded. <laughs> and it's like, really? And yeah, it was. It was uh, for, for those who haven't noticed, it, it was an uncommonly high tide. Um, yeah. Normal high tides are about a meter. They, they issue a, a warning, anything over a meter. Um, I could play. I'll, I'll, I've got a recording of it. I'll, I'll play it when uh, uh, perhaps you'll, you'll lay a little bit of the, the sirens over this. Well, here we go. Um, So yeah, like like that anyway. And uh, the the highest they do is one point four meters. That's that's the the highest of the high tides. And this the combination of high winds and uh, a lot of rain and a high tide made this particular one. Uh, I think it was was it Wednesday night or Tuesday night. I, I can't quite remember, but it was one point eight seven meters. Wow. Um, so. So, uh, and at, just for, for reference, and at 1.4 metres, 90% of Venice is underwater. So 1.87, you know, that's, that's absolutely 100%. Uh, we, we, where we stay on uh, an area called the Desert Euro, which is sort of between the, the, the most southern part of the Venice island of the, of the six regions, uh, it's quite high, you know. It's not not normally prone to flooding. Little bits do, but the street we're on is raised up a little bit, and we we sometimes get a little bit of water. The canal at either end kind of floods the pavement, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at oh ten thirty at night, with still half an hour ago to go towards high tide, there were people in waders wading down our street i mean there was like up up to knee height wow um so it was it was a big one and you know the the extent of the damage the suffering that people have have had was is significant um, the, you've seen pictures on the news i'm sure about the all the drama of a vaporetto big old boats you know big buses lifted out of the water and plonked down on the uh, on the quayside on the pavement effectively at uh, at arsenale uh, and in other places too, uh, and that was obviously very bad in uh, in the much more low lying regions of St Mark's Square is the one that always gets flooded. Um, but this this was particularly bad. But even around us, I mean, the the Desert Euro is quite an artsy kind of crafty sort of area. Lots of artisans and artists, lots of galleries where the Peggy Guggenheim collection is, and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's lots of galleries and, and you know, art shops and all that. And, and throughout the day, you could see people sort of, you know, putting stuff up on, putting, getting stuff up, up off, the, off the floor. And, yeah, the next day it had been so high, they were having a massive cleanup session. Um, it, was, it was, you know, every single shop was affected. It's the quietest we've ever seen that little area. I mean, a lot of the shops do close 
on a for a day on a Wednesday or Tuesday or, or whatever else, and the same with a lot of the galleries and things as well. But it was the quietest we'd seen it. Uh, some people just didn't didn't open up. Some people opened up, but just to just to clean up and clear out. Uh, and of course, you know, there was another one coming in twenty in twelve hours. So, how much cleaning up? Do you, do you do kind of thing because is is the next one going to be as bad? Yeah, nobody expected that one to be as bad. So, uh, the challenging challenging conditions for everybody. Anyway, in terms of leaving, high tide for us. Uh, there was a high tide at uh, about ten thirty in the morning um, on the day that we were leaving. So we thought we were due to get the nine o'clock boat uh, back to the airport. Uh, we thought, well, we'd. And again, it's not the boats will always run. That's not a problem. It's got to be sort of epic level disaster for them not to run. But it's just you've got to get your cases around to where the boats pick up. So it could be if that was flooded, you'd end up wading through calf length length water carrying your suitcases on your head, which would be me doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's what guys do. They're, yeah, they're good for carrying heavy bags. Um, so anyway, we we decided to get the dive for the earlier boat there was a 10 past eight so we were we were up and out the venice has daily rubbish collections so a note to any <laughs> british local authority this says they can only possibly manage collecting rubbish every other week you know daily rubbish collection yeah they're doing it daily uh, in, in venice <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly with no with yeah yeah, yeah absurd yeah. anyway we, we did a quick rubbish uh, run to the bins and um that, it all looked okay. Obviously, the tide was rising. You could see where it was coming up. And, and in the 20 minutes it takes us to, to get to the bins and back, it had clearly risen. So we we sort of we were packed up and ready to go. We walked around to uh, where we needed to be. And it was a, a beautiful day. After all this horrible mayhem and madness, where was it? That was Thursday. So, yeah, it was Tuesday night. was was particularly grisly. Wednesday was the big sort of clean-up day. Thursday morning, it was just spectacular weather absolutely crystal clear blue skies you could see for miles and miles and miles there's a big sort of industrial area just beyond venice on the on the mainland called mestre and you can see the the chimney stacks with the you know steam billowing out or whatever whatever uh you could see all that absolutely crystal clear there was a full moon up you know it was all just just beautiful apart from all this <laughs> devastation anyway the, the eight o'clock boat, uh, boat didn't turn up just didn't show uh but the one after did uh so at 8 40 so we're, we were on that we were, ended up hanging around at the airport for a little bit longer but we were on our way and it was absolutely fine super smooth flight coming back until we got to heathrow terminal five and uh, the flight back was an hour and 50 minutes, and we, it took us two hours and 10 minutes to get our bags. Oh, look, I saw that on Twitter, and it, it was, was like, what? It was just ridiculous. What was the problem? Uh, I mean, Did there you... are people, uh, they, they forgot. What? <laughs> so basically, the, the short answer is they forgot to, to collect, They, you know, yeah, okay, plane coming in, we've got to get the plane turned around, staff on the plane changed or whatever it is they do get it off on its way but nobody thought to collect the bags that's that's the short answer that's brilliant um, so after an hour and you know we the, there's a ba customer services thing there and the girls behind the counter there oh it'll be 10 minutes it'll be 10 minutes we're saying this for an hour so well, okay hang on. let's get on to twitter and and see what <laughs> see yeah, what we can yeah. rattle the cage and you know the fair dues within five minutes of me getting on to BA and Heathrow at Twitter, uh, uh, via Twitter, that actually did make an announcement. Although the, the announcements at Terminal 5 are so garbled, you can't actually understand them unless you're standing directly underneath one of the speakers. Yeah. It's, you know, all that money spent on that airport and the fundamentals really fall down. Anyway, uh, it was a, a long, involved process and, and eventually they we reading between the lines. They just didn't send a bus to pick up the bags, basically. But once they realised they hadn't done that, they got it sorted. Uh, and very generously, eventually, started providing snacks and drinks almost... You could, it was, you couldn't... If you were making a video about it, you couldn't time it better. Yeah. Uh, the, the guy and his... <clears throat> the, the, you know, 
main customer services manager, who was very polite, very pleasant, and all the rest of it. Ineffective, perhaps, but you know, uh, the the right front man for the job. Him and his his oppo were wheeling this cart up crisp snacks and they literally unlatched the front of it as the first bag started coming through on the on the, on the uh, carousel thing i mean you know the timing could not have been just more hilarious had you been making a, a youtube video about yeah. it. it's just uh, just a, an embarrassing time to have british in your name british airways a british airport you would expect um, better you ex- expect better people, you know, people from Italy, which with a you know, they have a slightly frantic attitude to, towards a lot of things. You think you think two people are having an argument, and they're just having a conversation. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, coming to coming to England, coming to London, possibly for the first time, possibly not, but having to hang around for for longer than the actual flight That's time crazy. to get your bags is just unacceptable. And the, and the big thing, and we'll come back to this later on about communication. The big thing is they said, oh, well, if you don't want to wait, then you can report it as a lost bag and we'll courier your bag back to you. But they couldn't tell us how long we'd need to wait because that's what you'd need to make that decision. Yeah, exactly. And then it would be a nightmare. How long, how long would you be waiting to get your bag back? And Exactly. And what's in the bags? You can't quite remember if there's anything that's... That's time yeah. sensitive. Do you need something for a certain time? House keys anyway, yeah, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. What have you yeah, shoved crazy. in a side pocket of a bag that it's like, oh, I forgot I put that in the hold luggage. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, welcome back to the Measuring Up Podcast, UK's first. And as far as we're concerned, a favourite commercial weekly joinery podcast. I'm Peter Millard, as well as running a virtual 10-minute workshop for YouTube. I run a small but far from perfectly formed carpentry and cabinet-making business in the no-man's land of West London. And I'm Andy McClellan, and I run the Gosforth Handyman channel and a bunch of other channels and bits and pieces on YouTube. And I still haven't managed to sell my house and therefore still haven't started a renovation project. And every couple of weeks we get together in our internet cafe and we have a little bit of a chat about all things woodworking and makery and a bit of YouTube and just, you know, what we've been up to. And, uh, and of course, you've been away, Peter, and welcome back. I've been a away. massive yeah. welcome uh, back. Thank you. Thank you. Pronto, yeah. Um, good to have you back. Yeah, yeah, good to be back. I mean, the, the, it was, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. This is um, me and Linda, we, we go to Venice every year. And uh, we've never been for more than four nights, uh, just how it works, how it's, how it's worked out. We we meant to go for a little bit longer for a week uh, when we went in at Easter and we forgot we just booked it for the for the usual four nights. So uh, one of our plans was that we we would quite like to, not to retire to Venice, but when that when we do start travelling a little bit more, is to perhaps spend a bit more time there, maybe a month or two. So this was the first sort of first tentative step towards that to see what it's like for more than a, a few nights. Uh, we'd never spent a weekend there uh, since we were first there 20 years ago. So, you know, just, just generally to try it out as a dipper toe in the water of, of staying for longer. And uh, that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah the, 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 the month or three month project is uh, definitely off the cards. All oh, right. <laughs> How come what, because of the flooding? Yeah, or, we, we, uh, yeah we, we, it was it was it was lovely. Yeah, but we were we were completely sort of galleried out and arted out, and not bored, but itching to get back to the stuff we've got home. You know, the stuff we've got here. Yeah, workshop ready to come home. Workshop. Um, you know, Linda's sewing and stitching and knitting and all all the stuff that she does. You know, and again we. I shot quite a lot of video while I was there. I've got a few, did quite a lot of vloggy type stuff and I've got a few little little projects built. Again, it was a holiday and you don't want to be working while you're on holiday, but you don't want to waste an opportunity either. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, as you know, you always end up shooting a little bit of video on these things and, and to do it properly, you need to dedicate time to it. Otherwise it looks like something that's been thrown together. Uh, so you had to sort of, uh, pigeonhole. Okay, today I'm going to do spend the morning doing a video about this, and then I'm going to switch off and just do be a tourist. Yeah, yeah, which is fine. And we managed to do all that, and obviously we recorded a podcast while we were there. Um, but it it just sort of emphasised 
how good our home is. Yeah. <laughs> you see yeah, what I mean? Yeah. How, how set we are, where we are, and doing what we do. Um, you know, I'm, I haven't... Uh, I still haven't seen the inside of the workshop yet. I'm going to pop in there after we've done this. I didn't get in there yesterday because we were so delayed coming back. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting couple of weeks. Uh, you know, Venice remains an amazing city. We we love it. Uh, we love visiting. Uh, but uh, I don't think we'd want to spend that long there again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, it's not Venice's fault. It's uh, you know, it's nobody's fault. It's just a. Uh, it's it's just. What it is, how it is. But sometimes you've got to, as you say, dip your toe in the water to get get an appreciation of that. And that I mean, when whenever we go on holiday, I always find a week is too short. I, I feel like I'm only just starting to mm. get into the holiday and I'm starting to switch off and then suddenly it's time to go home. Because realistically, a week is six days once you cater yeah. for your travel and all that sort of thing. Six days if you're lucky, yeah. really. Um and depending on when you arrive and things, you know, I've I've had holidays where you're al- arriving on your first night is eleven o'clock at night, so that's like a, a yeah. day gone, you know. And um, but then two weeks, I've I've always found two weeks I've started to get bored, bit fidgety, um, and and fidgety, and I've always found kind of ten days is is probably the longest that that we can do, um, and and even then I, I'm. Exact sort of same thing. I'm ready to come home. You know, I feel like I've yeah. my mind's been switched off. I've got lots of ideas of what I want to do. I'm quite excited to come home, and you know, and you, yeah. you kind of feel refreshed and recharged. And um, yes, and yeah, I, I, I totally get where you're coming from. You know, it's uh, mm. but I think it is important to have those switch off moments. I think it it is really important to get your brain in a different place yes. where you can't be distracted by having to do mm. routine jobs around the house or yes. going to the workshop or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing. Although, of course, we are who we are. And, and I don't know if you do this as well. I know, I know other guys do. But, you know, you walk around the, the rented apartment or the, the hotel room or whatever else and you start looking at how things, oh, how things are made. You know? Well, that's what my latest video <laughs> how was. the hinges yeah. are, are, are fitted to the door and... <laughs> Yeah, the electrics. Oh dear, uh, uh, yeah. Italian electrics. Woo! Uh, everywhere I go. Well, I don't know if you've seen my latest video, the hotel one. Uh, yeah, I haven't watched um, it, but I, I saw the I, I saw the thumbnail and I thought, ah, yeah. Well, that was the one I think I mentioned. I don't know if it was last time or the time before, but there was a video that I had backlogged from summer, and I knew it was going to be a big edit because it it looks probably like. Oh, that would be a five-minute job filming that, and it's like <laughs> no, because everything is voiced over. You know, none of nothing on that is me talking at the actual yeah. time, because there's too many background noises. You know, the the kids yep. were when I'm filming certain bits, the kids are literally hiding behind me to make it look like an empty room at times, yeah. um, and kicking you in the leg to make you sort of <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's always like these little noises and things in the background. Yeah. There was a whole section of the video where where my wife was just like, "Look, I'll head out to the beach with the kids. Um, you lock up and everything because it was literally on our departure day." And this is the other yeah. thing: I'm trying to make the hotel look like we've just arrived, but yeah, actually, we're just leaving. We're just leaving because when you just arrive at a hotel, the last thing you want to be doing is, you know, you want to crash out and kick back, yeah, relax and and kick back and just put the telly on and. So if if we arrive at a hotel as a family, I can't just say, "Oh, don't touch anything until I've filmed the entire hotel yeah. room for an hour." Um, so I'm trying to pretend that we've just arrived in this hotel. <laughs> Actually, we're we're just leaving. So I've, I've tried to put everything back to the way it was, but you can never get it perfect because it's not freshly ironed linen yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and all that sort of thing. And yeah, that my wife and kids just headed off to the beach and then. It was funny they were watching <laughs> they watched the video. My wife was just like, "So when I was at the beach, you were literally taking our hotel room to pieces." Then <laughs> and I was like, uh, "Yeah," and it's like, "Yeah, no wonder you were so long." And it's like, "Yeah, well, I had to put it all kind of back to normal again." But <laughs> but it took so long because you end up with I must have had forty separate clips of video, mm. all in completely random order, which you have to kind of put together in some sort of story and write a bit of a script to make sure it's something interesting and one bit leads on to the next, which leads yeah. on to the next, et cetera, et cetera. 
and that never I have tried doing it where I just talk over it while I'm filming but it's it's never as good and the quality's never particularly good either no so doing a voiceover afterwards but then for example the bits where I'm in the bathroom for it to be um vaguely coherent I need to sound like I'm in a bathroom so I literally recorded that in my bathroom. Um, just to get, no, no, just, they're sort of putting a bit of echo in afterwards around you. Just no, the I mean, you can, I have done that in the past. Uh, I've done that on uh, the workshop video, actually, you know, the one where yeah. I was talking, uh, where I did the tour of the big oh, yes. yeah. um, workshop that was for rent. And that one, I didn't have a big enough room to replicate the echo yeah. that you would get in a big room like that. So I, I set that up as a reverb on... On the com- because that's all voiced over afterwards. Because there was an, an there was an estate agent there at the time. I yeah, think, you couldn't really, really do your, your piece to camera well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> with him breathing um, down your neck, worse than the kids. It, it would be awkward at, yeah. at best, and and um, and apart from anything else, doing pieces to camera, I find very difficult when there's other people around. I don't know about you. Um, um, I, I, I talk in a very different way. Yeah. I, I was around. doing a lot more vloggy type of stuff in Venice. Uh, I, I, one of the things I wanted to do was was to do a lead-in. I've done a little piece um, where I talked about it a little bit before when we went in Easter. Uh, there's an Olivetti Museum, which is lovely. Uh, so I went again and spent a bit more time there and, and did some took the, took the big camera with me and uh, I wanted to do a little lead in piece walking through St. Mark's square. Um, so I had to, you know, <laughs> stand there like a lemon, like with Casey Neistat with his big camera on a yeah. gorilla pod with a microphone and everything else and do it as many times as it took for me to get it right. Basically. And I, I did manage to, one of the, one of the things I wanted to say was that, uh, Napoleon apparently called St. Mark's square, the drawing room of Europe. And I kept saying dressing room. <laughs> it's just, like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> to go back and do that thing again, you know. Take seven, take eight. Yeah, yeah. yeah so anyway, but th- yeah, that worked out reasonably well because I quite like that when you, because you get the the background, little bit of background mm. atmosphere noise as well, um, and with the with a proper mic on the on the camera, it's quite good because it picks up mostly you, but it does pick up a little bit of background uh, incidental noise as well. Um, uh, but yeah, I, you do tend to to talk a little bit differently when you when you're doing a piece of camera as to when you're when you're standing in front of the microphone, or, or if you're doing it in the workshop on your own. And uh, I say I did I did quite a lot of little vloggy type bits with my little GoPro alike, the little mm. action camera thing that I've got, uh, and that actually is surprisingly good um, uh, with a little microphone on that. It's not not bad at all as long as you keep it reasonably close. I, I, I think I've. Because I'm always complaining about my genuine GoPro and how how it's just yeah 400 quid for what is, as far as I'm concerned, a beta release of a, a product. <laughs> but uh, the uh, battery issues I was having looks like it was actually the charger to blame. Oh, really? Because I, I bought um, a new genuine GoPro battery and that was having exactly the same problems um, of it just running out of charge really, really quickly. And it looks like the crappy little charger that came with the non-genuine batteries, the batteries are fine. It's the charger's never been charging the batteries properly. And you can charge the batteries by just plugging the GoPro itself in and not taking the battery out. But this, the charger that came with these batteries is like a three dock charger where you can charge three at the same time. So it's a bit easier to just have, to whip the battery out, shut yeah, that yeah, in, yeah. pull pull a new battery out, and it's it's ready to go. But basically, the dock charger is knackered. So, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the batteries were so cheap, I, I can't really um, blame it. But mm. yeah, so um, the GoPro has survived another day, and uh, okay. it's it's back on the shelf and usable again now. Usable. That I know Good. that well, it's, it's actual, uh, always it's worth not having the battery in your- to blame. Yeah, they're always worth having in your arsenal. I'm, I'm going to do a little bit about mine because as a workshop camera, if you are doing YouTube-type vids or almost anything else, really, uh, they're worth having in your bag um, or, or as a workshop camera or in your bag for installs because, you know, that, that super wide angle of view yeah. means you can – they're you know, relatively cheap now and you can just kind of stick them on a video and walk around it 
just as a reference for what you've done and how you've left a job site or, or yeah. whatever else. Um, yeah, quite, quite handy to have. Although I guess most people just use the phone. But uh. but even things like the time-lapse feature on, on mine is, is pretty good when it works. Yeah. Um, does yours build it into a video? Because mine, mine, mine does time-lapse, but it records them as individual stills. So then you've got to bring them into a video <laughs> manually. Well, there's another GoPro beta thing for you. Um, on on my GoPro, it's got the option of either recording time-lapse as individual stills or as video. And sometimes, if and obviously video is the most convenient way of doing it because then it's ready to watch afterwards type thing. But if you'd, I've had it where I've done, I've, it's been sitting there doing a time-lapse video and then... You press stop, and you take the memory card out, and you put it in your computer. Nothing on the memory mm. card. Just it hasn't written anything to the memory card. It only does that when it's trying to do time-lapse in video mode. If you do it in still mode, it's always fine. That's maddening. So because I've That's lost maddening. a few recordings, yeah. I now only do it in, in still mode because, yeah. So it's another just random GoPro thing yeah. where, for some reason, on, on this, and as I say, this is an older... Hero 5 Black Edition. Uh, sometimes if you do time lapses in video mode, where it should just produce like an MP4 file or, or whatever at the end of it, sometimes the, the file's just not the, there. It's gone. It hasn't written it to that the is just SD card maddening. for some reason. Absolutely maddening. So, yeah. And the still thing's fine because my video editor, um, I can import the stills yeah. in and it'll... Just it it'll sort it out for me. Yeah, but but then GoPro's also got like crazy name naming conventions with the file names, so it doesn't necessarily put all the files in the right order. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, you wouldn't believe it. So I've got to manually go through and rename every single. I've got an application to do it, mm. but I need to run it through a file renaming utility. Which batch processing thing, yeah. Batch process them seriously. One, two, three, four, and it just puts them into uh, numerical order, basically, because GoPro's own naming convention is almost unusable. Yeah. For I've got to say that on my little cheap one as well, it's it's it's. I, I just don't understand it. Why why it's not, you know, something something zero zero one two three four five. I don't know, but it comes out with as crazy names but it does at least keep it in order although yeah. it does seem to always do it the other way around so the newest at the are at the top rather than the uh, yeah anyway yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. so crazy making uh, hey ho uh, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes happy times we've got some good f- uh, feedback and follow up didn't we yeah we did we got uh, Duncan mentioned and he was saying another woodworker on why he's posting fewer videos and he said morning gents you might find um, this video from Steve Ramsey at uh, woodworking for mere mortals Hi, Steve if he ever listens to this podcast I don't know if he does over in the States um, interesting to watch and he touches on uh, view curves for channels and sponsorships and I think his remarks on sponsorships will, will resonate with you and yeah I watched that video and I thought it was a, a brilliant video we'll include a link in the uh, show notes but uh, I had a few people recommend it to me as well and uh, well well worth a watch um uh, interesting again part of what Steve Ramsey is doing is, is of course trying to feed people through onto his uh, woodworking for mere mortals personal channel rather than through YouTube because uh, obviously that's a, for, for paid content as well but he, uh, he makes some absolutely solid uh, points in this and certainly makes a, an awful lot of sense and, and absolutely agree uh, agree with him on, on the, the view curve for channels you know how you get a certain amount of success and then it sort of tails off uh, and again, just the number of people who are on YouTube doing this sort of thing there um, is uh, is quite an eye opener. He did say that he, he he watched it. I don't know if you uh, if it was in that video or in another one, but he said he he subscribes to hundreds of woodworking channels. <laughs> I want to know which ones now, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, um, I, I thought it was a very honest appraisal of of the situation and and. Yeah, we'll try not to get too wood, uh, too YouTubey, but there's, I mean, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes on YouTube at the minute, and I mean, kids, kids channels especially are going to be hammered. Yes, there is. We did, we did have it as a topic of conversation. Maybe, maybe we'll keep that for the next one. But um, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of stuff going on behind the scenes, 
which may well have an impact on on what we do completely inadvertently. And it's why it's so um, important to diversify your income and you can't any longer rely on just churning out YouTube videos and hoping that that's going to cut it because it, it doesn't work like that any, anymore, unfortunately. Um, YouTube's not aimed at subscribers anymore. Mm. It's aimed at um, AI-driven growth and um, YouTube's been going that way for a long time. And, and I think it's it's very noticeable. You know, every Saturday morning... Saturday morning was always my kind of YouTube time to catch up on stuff, and I would sit with my breakfast and a cup of coffee and catch up. Uh-huh. And I'm noticing there's less and less stuff, you know, from the people who I used to watch on on YouTube, and um, the, there's just less and less mm. content from the people who I used to follow. The big the big names who who I used to follow are putting out significantly less. Um, yeah, and I mean I'm guilty of that to a degree myself you know i've I've certainly slowed down the video production yeah. I've, I've gone away from was doing two a week for a period of time and then i was doing one a week and now i'm more kind of following well videos are going out when they're ready really yeah. um because eventually I, I kind of came to the conclusion that it sometimes was having a negative impact by putting a video out too quickly um yeah that's certainly what i found when i was doing two a week that the tuesday video would would take views away from the Friday video. And sometimes the Friday video did really well. Uh, and sometimes you could see the, the tail off quite noticeably when the Tuesday one came out. So uh, I knocked the Tuesday one on the head uh, and I'm doing a, a, a shorter weekly video for the Patreon supporters now. But at the end of the day, um, it's still a, it's a very young industry. You know, people think of, Oh, I've been on YouTube for mm. 10 years and it's like, yeah, but 10 years is like, tiny in the scheme of things you know this is an industry that it's it's only existed for 10 years it, it's such a young industry and yes um I, I think we're just seeing natural evolution of it you know and i think it'll continue we'll we'll see these spikes and drops in in viewership it wouldn't surprise me if we see some of the big youtubers who dropped off coming back i don't necessarily mm. think it's a, a one time curve I think it's potentially, you know, more of a sine wave type thing where... Yeah. Well, again, we, we've mentioned this before, but we go back to, you know, Charles Handy, The Empty Raincoat, classic business book. You have that curve where, you know, as it starts to tail off, then you, you jump onto the next thing and the, you ride that, that wave up again. Yeah. And it's, yeah, as you say, a sine wave, almost perfect uh, example of that. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're just going through one of those slightly down <laughs> periods i think um it's uh, it's there's so many things going on behind the scenes and over regulation of the platform does worry me a lot because over regulation tends to be badly thought out by people who don't really understand the the problems in the first place and the whole copper ftc thing is a a prime example of that. It's yeah. rules are being implemented that were never designed to, there was never a problem in the first place. And the, what they've implemented or, or the fines that they've imposed on YouTube, that YouTube should have fought, but they didn't. And instead YouTube have just pushed the onus onto the creator, which I think is terrible, really, really bad decision, mm-hmm. bad crap by YouTube. But it doesn't resolve any problem. The, the, what all they're doing is making creators who were creating child-friendly content, they're just going to start creating more adult-friendly content, and now the kids will still watch it, but it'll be yeah. not child-focused anymore because yeah. it's the only way they're going to make money off the videos, which... Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so, and just uh, just to get, not not to get into this too deeply, but uh, there there are changes uh, afoot uh, about content appropriate for children on YouTube, and think of the children. Uh, yeah. So, uh, what what as a creator we have to do now is to say whether it's uh, made for kids. Literally, those that's the phrase "made for kids" mm-hmm. in inverted commas. Uh, is your content made for kids? No, it isn't. The content we make on YouTube might actually be perfectly appropriate for children with adult supervision, because we're talking about sharp spinning things and, you know, you wouldn't want your kids let loose with a table saw without some supervision. But there's nothing 
inappropriate about what we do, but we've got to say, no, it is not made for kids. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a very specific and very peculiar phrasing, I think. Uh, but that's what we have to do if we, if we wish to continue to put our content on YouTube and uh, have it monetized through advertising. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. that's, that's what you've got to do. Um, it, it doesn't affect us directly, I don't think, but there are certainly channels. Yeah. Uh, there was a bit on Twitter this morning from a, a, a BBC presenter who does children's shows and she has her own YouTube channel where she does outtakes from the show and other things. And, you know, what she's supposed to do. Yes, it is made for kids, but, <laughs> if if you are making a show that's made for kids then you're potentially opening yourself up to a whole load of liability um if if somebody then deems it to be inappropriate uh, as i say it's it's a it's a, a poorly thought through and rushed uh rushed through bit of legislation which is american yeah, you know that's the thing. It doesn't it doesn't sort of affect us directly in that way either, because it is all uh, about U.S. laws and standards, as far as I'm I'm aware. Yeah, well, I mean, they could shut your channel down if if you blatantly yes. ignored it. I suppose I don't know what would happen in terms of the FT, FTC fines, where they can potentially fine people forty two thousand dollars for declaring a video isn't for kids when they dec- think it is for kids. Um, and I, I don't think that could pass over to us, but I'm I'm not sure how international fines like that work. Uh, obviously, the the EU have fined Google for certain things. I've I've never really I don't understand how cross border fines work. I don't know. No, no, me neither. Uh, and again, above our pay grade, and hopefully not affecting us directly. But you know, if you, if you want to, if you have a YouTube channel and you want to continue to monetize it through advertising, then you have to say whether or not it's made for made for kids or not, and that, that's a that's a, a difficult wording to comply with. If if something if something you make is appropriate for children but not made for them, it, it's it's horrible and muddled and ugly. And I think it's just going to drive people away from the platform. It is, and it, yeah, it's, it's it a shame because there's some very, very good educational channels that are aimed at kids. That and you know, there's channels that my my daughter watches on a regular basis, and they're, they're excellent channels. And I've been breaking the news to her that you know these channels might stop putting content out from January, yeah. and she's devastated about it. You know, and these are yeah. very, very good. Well, you know good production values it's stuff that i trust my daughter to watch because i've taken the responsibility of a parent to allow my daughter to watch that stuff because yes i i vet what she does she doesn't have free reign on youtube she used to use the the youtube kids app but there were certain channels that weren't showing up in there that were perfectly fine for children so i'm fine with her using the main app i keep an eye on what she's watching she knows what the boundaries are. We don't need the FTC to come in and do the parenting for us. And uh, thank you very much. But I'll make those decisions for my daughter. I don't need someone else to make those decisions for my daughter. Um, I certainly don't need some dodgy piece of Google AI to make the decisions for my daughter because we know how many times that gets it wrong. Yes. So, yeah, it's... um, Interesting times. What watch this space? Interesting indeed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've been getting a bit of feedback from Instagram as well. Um, uh, for some reason, these messages have only come through recently. So, if you messaged us a while back, our apologies. Uh, but we got one from Tufty B Three via Instagram. It says, "Hi guys, I'm fairly new to the podcast. You started listening in September, and has managed to work my way through all of them. I signed up to Patreon and currently working through the back catalogue there as well." He says, uh, "I'm assuming it's a he. Excuse me. Uh, appreciate the amount of time and effort you guys put into YouTube, Instagram, and." Podcast. Podcast, 
please keep up the good work. Uh, we certainly will. Fantastic stuff. Fantastic. Uh, Aaron Lowe from Lowe's uh, Bespoke Jewelry Spray Painting Specialist uh, talked to us via Instagram. He says, hey guys, a great season so far. Loving the podcast. Big fan of, the, of doing as much of the dry fit assembly as possible before I commit to glue and screws. Being as we both have a fairly small space to work in like him, how do we overcome it? Or, or is it a a case of first time it's fully assembled in the client's house always a squeaky bum moment he says um it's a good point i i I try and dry fit as much as i can i have shot aaron a quick uh, note uh, uh, response back on instagram as well but i try and dry fit as much as i can but sometimes the like the big wardrobe job that i did recently uh earlier in the year was just too big Uh, there was just nothing there's no way I could I could dry fit those wardrobes. But what I did, I may, I can make the top box so that'll highlight any any issues that I might have with the main carcass because it's obviously exactly the same. Uh, so I'll, I'll do the smaller pieces in the workshop and, and just accept that if I hit any snags with those, then it'll give me a it'll flag up any potential problems with the with the main carcass. But on that particular one, yeah, most of those. I could only do that with the, or rather, I only did that with the with the one. I had a uh, a carcass that was shaped to fit partly into an alcove, uh, and I did that with the top box, and that worked okay. But all the others were assembled uh, for the first time on site. Uh, they'd never the sides, the the uh, the tops had never touched the sides before that moment. How about yourself, Andy? Do you do you dry fit as much as possible, or do you? Um, just get on with it. Generally, with the carcasses and and whatnot, I try to get everything built in advance so that mm. there's a minimal amount of building to do on site. Yeah. I, try, I try and get things so that um, only the stuff that has to be done on site is done on site. Yep. Um, so even if it means hiring a bigger van so that I can get everything there in one piece. Yeah, so you pre-assemble the entire carcasses beforehand if you possibly can. Yeah. yeah that's what I do. Sometimes else. it's just not practical, though, is it? Because if you've got a big double wardrobe that's going up to the third floor, it ain't going to go. Yeah, and I've had a few like that where there is no option but to to assemble it on site. They're just too big to move by yourself, and yeah. it, it would be it would be difficult. But, yeah, it, it's just trying to get that balance. It's trying to minimise... The amount of time spent on the customer site, for, from my perspective, yes. it, that, that is kind of my prime objective. The more that I can do in the workshop, the more efficient I'll be. But then, as you say, there mm. are trade of trade offs on certain things that you just can't carry by yourself, or you can't fit it physically up up the stairs or round corners and and things, and and you've got no option but to do it on site. But um, but I suppose as well, I mean. Uh, for the stuff, for the bigger stuff, uh, when you assemble it on site, are you using knockdown fittings, or are you? Is it permanent assembly? Or yeah, that's principally why I've gone to using knockdown fittings uh, for the for the bigger carcasses that are assembled on site. So yeah. I, I use the Climax fittings; they work very well. Because um, before that, I was either gluing and screwing using dominoes for alignment of, uh, or if the faces were visible, then you'd have to glue and clamp, which is you know. It's, it's it's not difficult, but it means you've got to carry big clamps up yeah. however many flights of stairs as well. Uh, and I, clamps on site are always a pain in the neck the, to get them there, to transport them. They're always, <laughs> even if you bundle them yeah. together, they always seem to come apart like a you know fire, bundle of firewood. Um, they're a pain in the neck. So, yeah, I'm, I've, I've moved principally to, to knock down fittings just yeah. for my convenience. As much and as I've, I've always, I've always um, kind of, have at the back of my mind the size of the back of my truck mm. and i know i can fit anything up to about a meter and a half wide about a meter and a half deep but uh, i think we talked about it on on an episode quite a while ago where that that's come back to bite us where i didn't cater for the angle of the the windscreen the back window and, yes. and uh, I, I just couldn't. <laughs> you can. Oh, sorry, I can laugh about it now, but I know that was. Uh, oh, it was a nightmare. Mortifying yeah, at the time. And, and I can't remember what happened. I think I had to hire a van in the end. Uh, did no, that I think the sprayers came and picked it up or something. Uh, I can't remember, but yeah, you you do have to plan for these things, and and sometimes with the best planning in the world, things drop out of your head, and when you're trying to rush rush, rush yeah. through a job and. 
Uh, yeah, it can be challenging. Well, I mean, again, we've talked about it before, but there are, there are just so many things to try and keep an eye on with a job, which is why I resorted to making lists for, you know, taking the, taking the gear out to installs and that sort of thing. It, just because the, 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 unless you have a complete separate installs kit, which always lives in the van, and that, you know, again, that lead, leads leaves you open to van theft, which is rife, as we know. Um, and I, I always clear my van out every night and I do sort of have a separate installs kit, but it's not completely separate. Um, you know, writing lists, there's, there's just so many things, so many little bits and pieces that you need. And even then you can still forget that crucial little <laughs> final thing that you need, but just don't have with you. Maddening. Yeah. I, Absolutely I, maddening. And uh, what would your process be for putting the list? together do you have a kind of um do you have a default list of this is what i'm going to need for that type of job or do you work through the job in your head or i work through the job in my head i I did a few videos about this a little while back but um yeah basically for the installs getting the gear together i literally take the drawings and i go from the ground up i go through what i'm going to need uh okay i'm putting in a plinth so i'm going to need wedges wedges on the box uh, the plinth's pre-built, so I don't need anything there, but I'll need to fix it to the skirting board or I'll fix it to the wall, so I'll need those screws and those plugs. Uh, okay, next layer up. I've got the carcasses to go in. They need to be screwed together or clamped together or whatever I'll need to put them together. They go you know, they go on the list with sizes and everything else. Uh, next layer up, what else have I got to do? Oh, door, uh, internal furniture, so hanging rails, end sockets, screws for those uh, then there's doors okay doors hinges uh hinge screws screws for the hinge plates uh, and again i just work my way through the whole job from the literally from the from the ground up as to what's going to be needed uh, scribing stuff uh, and alongside all of this i've got a separate list where i put the tools that i might need for it so jigsaw for the scribing whatever else uh, 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 and I basically build the list from scratch I've got a uh, a starter list because I I take a lot of the same sort of things on site with me to, to a job to an install but it's added to and changed with every job because everyone is is slightly different um, and that's that's the only way I can do it uh, literally just going through the whole thing from from the ground from the, literally the the carpet up what am I going to need for the next stage, the next level, in terms of screws, glues, abrasives, tools, bits and pieces? Uh, put it on a list. Make sure you've got it. That's it. That's exactly what I do, and I always try to um, kind of keep different types of of equipment in, for example, a, a single bag. So. Um, so I know that if I'm going to be using, for example, my nail gun, then I'm going to need the compressor, I'm going to need the hoses, I'm going to need the gun itself, I'm going to need spare nails. And I try to keep all of that, apart from the compressor, obviously, but I try to keep all of that in one mm. grab bag so that I know, yeah. because I have turned up on sites before, well, once, and brought everything apart from the air hose from for my nail gun. So I've got everything and I can't, Yep. plug the blooming thing in and I've, you know there's an hour and a half added on where i have to go back to the workshop pick yep. it up come back and and it's a pain in the neck I've, I've done the same with the with the track saw i've taken the saw with no rails yeah. i've done it often enough that i keep a rail in the van now yeah yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, you know track saw without a rail is you know just just a circuit a bad circular saw and it's it's not not what you want to be using yeah but, yeah um yeah and uh, like people ask well uh, for example on drill bit storage I keep all of my drill bits in a single, I call them OCD boxes, but they're the single <laughs> Stanley uh, sort, sort Master. And and it's a bit of a mismatch. I mean, everything's in its section, but they're not, my drills aren't in a, in a cassette because the cassette would just be another thing that I would forget. Mm. So, and I don't have a bag dedicated to carrying around a cassette for drill bits right. because... I need them to be. I always use them alongside screwdriver bits, mm. uh, alongside um, you know 
uh, hinge hole bits or whatever. So I've got everything related to drilling holes in a single box, and that includes flat bits, Forstner bits, um, countersink bits, self-countersinking bits, um, masonry bits, uh, smaller pilot hole bits. Everything's mm. in the one the, the one box. So I know if I grab that, yes, there are still the odd thing that doesn't fit in that. There, there always is. You know, there's always. always some giant speciality bit that's like, oh, it just doesn't fit. But I know for the 99% of situations and problems that I'm likely to run into, I've probably got something in that box that will resolve that problem. You know, yeah. I can I can work it out with something else. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've talked about drill bit storage before, and it is a pain in the neck that there's no sensible, doesn't seem to be a sensible way to do it, because they're just such awkward things to to store. Yeah. And as you say, if you have one of those little cassette, fold-up cassette things, first of all, the... I've found anyway that the they always break, so uh, and then there's always one missing. You know, there's always, there's always one that gets up lost or in a in a, a bottom of a little. I, I've got the sustainer, you know, the, the vessel sustainers. Mm-hmm. I've got. Do you keep a, a separate drill case for yours or, or not? Separate? How do you mean? Or do you or, or do you just keep it in the in the blow molded uh, case that the drill comes with? Uh, what for my my just combi drill type thing for the for the tool, for the, uh, tool uh, just drill, my yeah. normal drill box that it came in. It's just a Makita and right. my yeah. impact and uh, combi fit in there. And I've also got a whole selection of spare bits in that box because sometimes I'll just grab that. Yeah, and there's nowhere near. Well, what what are the uh, what I've done? I've got a, I've got a drill a drill box. I've got a, a the bigger. Um, uh, can't be drill, so it'll do brickwork as well. And I've got the little 10.8 drill driver, and they both fit in there nicely. And I've got a selection of all the bits, because I've, uh, again, in the Festool system, use the, the Centratech chuck, quick change chuck yeah. system. And I've got all all the bits that I'm likely to use for that in in the lid. So they're all racked up there from 3 mil up to 10 or whatever however size it is. So they're the general bits. And then in the middle of the box, I've got in those, those little yellow and red boxes that mm-hmm. you can get. I've got all the other drill bits. So I've got all the, all the loose ones, all the specialty ones, the oddball, um, uh, masonry bits and, and combi bits and all those, those sorts of things. And that seems to work reasonably well. And then I've got, a, there's a lift out sort of section in the center. And I've got all the rough and ready drill bits and all the spade bits and, and, Algo bits and all those sorts of stuff. Uh, and that seems to work reasonably well. It means that I can just... Of course, the problem is, because it, because it is the box that I can just grab and go and do almost any sort of drilling with it, it becomes like a mini toolbox in its yeah, own right. Yeah, yeah. So now I've got a couple of squares in there, I've got a small digital level, I've got, you know, <laughs> a couple of com- couple of combi squares. And, yeah, and, and, and uh, uh, small clamps. Uh, yeah. Often there's stuff like a, like a spirit level... I'm trying to think of the stuff that migrates into there on a regular basis. A spirit level, a hammer. Um, yeah, I keep a, I keep a small uh, sort of pin hammer in mind just for tapping in plugs. Yes, exactly. That's that's what yeah. I use mine for, you know. Because so, <laughs> there's only so many times you can do it with the bottom exactly. of the drill. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and believe me, I've done that many, many times. Oh, yeah. It's like yeah. every time I, I curse myself for doing it because one of these days I'm going to put a nail straight through the bottom of a, a very expensive battery <laughs> yes. and uh, and it'll probably explode because lithium ions don't like being punctured with nails. Uh, yeah. And, no, uh, yeah, so um, my setting tool for hollow wall plugs uh, often migrates into into there as well. Right. And and it, it just means that if all I'm doing is, say, putting a picture up or a mirror, I can just grab that box and everything is there to... to to do it, you know, I've got my spirit level, I've got my drill. I always yep. keep a five and a half mil masonry bit on the drill. That my my five and a half okay. mil masonry lives on my drill. It never comes off unless I need a different size drill. Um, all of my pilot hole bits and stuff they live in my drill case in a separate little caddy because they're so small. I would yeah. lose them in my OCD box. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so all my tiny little drills live in this tiny little drill sorter, but. Um, so the the only downside of the way I'm doing it is that if I'm looking for a specific size drill, it 
it's a bit of a chew on. I've got to kind of take them all out and lay them out and try and <laughs> find yeah. the, the the specific size. But that's very rare, you know. Most of the time, yeah. you just if if it's a clearance hole, you just you just blast a hole and think, yeah, that'll do. Yeah, yeah. that it needs to be a clearance <laughs> hole about five millimeters. If it's yeah. four and a half mil or five and a half or or six mil, it'll probably be fine. Um, same with yes. pilot holes, you know. I, yeah. I don't need to be half millimeter accurate on on pilot holes no. generally, you know. As long as it's like one mil, two mil, you know, whatever, depending on the screw. I, normally what I grab just by looking at it will be fine. Um, but occasionally you run run into these things where you may be doing a machine screw hole or something like mm. that, something that you need it to be a bit more precise. And it's like, oh, where on earth has my 10 mil drill metal bit gone and, and it's just vanished at that point? Yeah. And at which point it's gone anyway. You know, it's yeah. it, I've probably left it on the bench in the workshop and yeah, uh, yeah. I, I've got a, I've got a really nice set of I can't remember if they're Fisher or Colt, but really I think a Colt, but a really nice Brad points or lip and spur bits. Minimal breakout, so they're fantastic if you're drilling. It's a silly thing, but you know, uh, putting a machine screw through for a cabinet knob, uh, so you don't have to put a, a backing piece on it while you're doing it. Yeah, so, it'll, so it's really it'll neat. Drill a really clean, neat hole. And I was doing something recently. Uh, what caught me out completely uh, because it only go it's it's goes from I think it's five mil up to what I thought was ten, but it was nine and a half. And I was trying to yeah. I needed a ten mil hole. I couldn't get this flipping thing to fit. What's going on? You know, I was going mad. And it was a nine and a half mil hole. That, you know, why you would top out a nine and a half mil instead of going to ten? I just don't know. But yeah. that's, that's that's one of those things. So yes, always always. <laughs> check the sizes as well because that was a fairly fruitless 10 minutes well i thought questioning my sanity doing the same thing over and over i've 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 got quite a lot of brad point uh not particularly good ones not branded or anything but you know you you get them with your drill case when you buy a drill you get like a free drill case that's got a whole lot of cheap bits in and a lot of my old brad point bits i've ended up because they were so blunt and i've ended up sharpening the brad point off and just turning it into a normal, oh, right. normal drill bit just to get a bit more life out of it and for certain sizes where i don't already have 17 of that <laughs> the certain drills i need to spend some time going through my drill bits because i've got i, I must have maybe 15 5 mil hss bits and yeah. and then i've got yeah. loads of weird imperial sizes as well that have just kind of yes gathered yes inherited yeah. along the way yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. at some point i do need to sort through it because it would be a lot easier to find the right size drill bit if there wasn't 15 of the same size bit that i didn't need taking up room yeah in yeah. my drill box so it is a yet another job that i need to do but have you ever had any horror stories with drilling into stuff and uh the, the only one yeah i mean the one was was very very early on i think we might have mentioned it before in the um was it drilling or actually it wasn't drilling that was that was um uh hammer and bolster i think we might have mentioned it early on in the in the podcast but i was uh doing handyman type stuff and a guy wanted some tiles laid, quarry tiles laid on a little balcony. And there was a the awkward little bit of um, rough cement on it, uh, just a weird little lump over it. And, it, you know, the tiles weren't silly right, and now I would have packed it out to, to raise them up a little bit. I So I just got a sort of you know, hammer and bolster and just sort of... And as I was chipping it away, it just went, boop, and a little, little hump chipped off. And I looked and thought, oh, somebody's, looks like somebody's lost a wedding ring and got it stuck in the, <laughs> st- stuck in the cement. And as I was watching it, water started <gasps> oozing up around it. <laughs> the buggers, who, whoever, whoever had done it, hadn't, it was a, they just cut a pipe off and cemented over it. no. What an active, a, a live water pipe. Yeah, that was a live pipe. Yeah, so I had to, I had to chase around. This is in a first floor flat on a balcony. So I had to go and find out where the pipe was going to. Find something. The guy wasn't there. He wasn't home. He'd given me a key for the day. Uh, I had to find where it was coming from. 
shut it off, isolate it, make sure it wasn't going anywhere else. Uh, and then I could carry on. Oh. So, yeah, what a nightmare. So, no, in terms of drilling, I don't think I've hit anything whilst, whilst drilling. I've, I've not so much hit stuff. I'm, I am very careful. I've, I've, I've once hit a gas pipe like 25 yeah. years ago, and I think once you hit a gas pipe, you, you, you are extra careful after yes. that point. No, actually, tell, tell a lie. The only time I did hit, uh, hit something was before I was doing this for a living. When I was still a photographer, I got my first studio, and I was putting – I put chipboard down. That had, it had been roughly converted. It was a muse. Um, property, so like a, a former stables for a big house. And it had been turned into a garage with a flat above it and the, the guy had was was letting and then I, I bought this ground floor. And just to tidy it up, I, well, it was my first photographic studio. And to tidy it up, I just put chipboard down as a flooring. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a floor. Yeah, it's all you need. And it was reasonably level. And I was just sort of, you know, carefully screwing this down into the concrete below and literally there was one little bit right towards the end of the day uh, i've been laying this stuff all myself by myself and there was one little bit that was just a little bit bouncy i just sort of popped a, a dr- <laughs> drill down i was just drilling down through it with a masonry bit into the cement hammering a uh, a plug through and then just driving a screw down just to, to pull it all down it was glued as well uh, and i just had a little bouncy but i just put one through and bang all the power went out completely. No, completely. Oh. and I just oh. hit a guy. The, the cables that they put through the through the floor instead of being nice and nice straight lines, they were all over the place by all accounts. Yeah, um, and mm. yeah, like like working your way through a minefield, I I hit one <laughs> right at the end yeah. of the day. So yeah, my oh. that was it. That was my first introduction to uh, that was my first uh, property as a self employed person. My my first sort of studio. I was sat in the dark waiting for the LED because I I then compounded it by making the the, the mistake of um uh, in the in the unit's breaker I tried to uh, the, obviously the breaker had popped so I tried to reset it and as I pushed the breaker button back in there was this poof from the end of the muse where the where the main board was <laughs> so what had happened is I I'd, I'd caught the two uh Cables, the twin and earth within the within the cable, and they mm-hmm. twisted together. Uh, so they were Constantly they were shorting. shorting. Marvelous, yes. marvelous. So I had to dig that that little section up and repair it, and then get the LEB out to to repair the main board fuse. Not fun. <laughs> sat, sat in the dark at ten o'clock at night, waiting for the LEB to arrive with with the yeah, company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For company, I thought, okay, this is this is the start of my uh, self-employed property property uh, premises ownership. Great, but you suddenly become a lot more aware of what can go horribly wrong. You do, and and how to avoid it, and how to learn from these things that happen. And uh, and often, you know, the gas pipe I went through wasn't a hundred percent my me to blame. And again, this was in my own property anyway, but um, it was a loose floorboard right. and uh, I, I screwed this loose floorboard down at the edge of the boards where you expect to screw floorboards down of course and uh, it was loose for a reason because there was a gas pipe running straight underneath where there was a uh, there was a, a screw hole in the board but obviously they'd ripped that board up taken the the nail out run the gas pipe underneath exactly where the nail would have gone put the board nice. back left that nail out, left it nice and loose with no kind of support, and uh, then I've come along a few years later and thought, oh, I'll just shove a screw in there, that'll sort that out, and then it was kind of, (sighs) you hear the, the, and smell it very quickly as well. Yeah, Yeah, at least that's something. Yeah, luckily, um, easy enough to switch a gas off, and uh, a gas emergency, people came out and fixed it very quickly, which was very nice of them, but... um, I'll save my um, I'll save my story about a horror yeah. curtain rail for uh, the the next episode. Oh, oh, curtain rail's the worst. Do you want to know how to find a lintel <laughs> to try and hang yeah, a curtain yeah, rail? Yeah. <laughs> I'll save that for the next episode in in a week's time. <laughs> and on that note, it is uh, it's time for us to stop blathering on for this week. Of course, you can join us in a week's time 
if you follow us on Patreon, um, and anyone following us on Patreon gets the weekly show now, and all you need to do is is go on to Patreon, and you can, once you support us on Patreon, you'll get a secret little link to the weekly show, and all you do is copy that link into your uh, podcast player of choice, and then you'll automatically get the weekly show from that point. You can then unsubscribe to the one that you're using at the minute, and you can subscribe to the new weekly show, and you'll get that instead. So uh, thank you to everyone who is supporting us on Patreon. Mm, and a, a massive shout-out as well uh, to our random selection of $3 plus Patreons. And this week, we would like to thank Casper van der Berg, Matt Parker, Steve Avery, Chris Davison, Chris Mark Duthie, Andy Sims, Steve at Fenrica Woodstuff, Sean Jeffrey, Pascal from MK Creations, and Brendan from the Shades Workshop. And I'd like to thank Tony Carnell, uh, Thistledo, Owen Bullock, Randall Davis, Jason Hook, Andrew Cartledge, the Strawbite Workshop. Nico Wilson, Dominic Kajinson, and John T. Lynch. Uh, thank everybody, of course, for listening. Uh, if you've got the time and if you can uh, spare the time, uh, please give us a, a ranking or a rating on iTunes, a rating or review. We've got uh, many positive reviews there, so uh, all of those reviews and ratings really do help to push us further up the stack on iTunes. Uh, you can support the show and, of course, get extra weekly episodes, as Andy says, at patreon.com forward slash measuring a podcast. You can follow us both at Andy. Where can people follow you? You can find me gosforth handyman on youtube gosforth handyman on instagram and gosforth andy on twitter and where can we find you peter i am 10 minute workshop on youtube at 10 minute shop on the twitters and at 10 minute workshop on instagram uh, you can follow uh, the podcast on instagram as well at measuring up podcast uh, get in touch with us via the contact form on the measuring up podcast.com website or email the show at contact at measuring up podcast.com uh, post feedback as well at measuring up pc on twitter or at measuring up podcast on instagram those messages do eventually get through to us uh, but i think that's it for this week Uh, thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you next week see you next time